Hallelujah. Can we just stand one more time and let's just give the Lord a, a praise clap. Let's just say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on. Thank you. Let the praises go up. Lord, we thank you. Hallelujah. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you. Why don't you just stay standing? Matthew chapter 14. We're going we're gonna to read our text. It's what we've been on. I want you to just stand with me. We're just going to read together. I've just been on this thing. I've saw my pastor do it, and I've saw two other people do it since then, and I'm like, if we can stand for the national anthem, if we can, if we can stand to attention for the flag, surely, surely we can stand. Standing puts you in a position, whether you feel like it or not, when you do it, even when you don't feel like it, there's something that happens in your heart that opens up, that receives something that you would not have received if you'd have stayed complacent. Something about the demonstration of faith. Peter wasn't, when Peter stepped out of the boat, he wasn't 100% assured that he wasn't going to sink. He stepped out. He stepped out of his comfort zone, stepped out of the flesh, and stepped out on the word that Jesus had said, come. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. King Herod has beheaded his cousin, John the Baptist, the forerunner, the greatest prophet, Jesus said, of all the Old Testament prophets, the one that said, I'm the one, I'm the one that's in the wilderness, that cries out in the wilderness, that the Son of God has come. He's the one that looked when Jesus was passing by. I want you to listen to what I'm saying because I'm going to tie it in in a minute. When Jesus was passing by, he said, look, the Son of Man has come. This is him, and he's dead. He's been beheaded. They gave the news to Jesus. Jesus goes away, departs to be by himself, but he got sidetracked because sometimes people in need will interrupt your need for their need. And so he feeds the 5,000. In verse 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to the other side, go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes Away, You know it's pretty serious if Jesus is sending the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately... Jesus spoke to them and said, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Father, in the name of Jesus, I willingly submit this word to you and to your people. Father, we ask, we release our faith that you would speak what you need to speak through me, your vessel, this morning. <clears throat> you've already spoke, you've already encouraged us, we've already been to that place, and now our hearts are poised and ready to receive everything you have for us. Father, we release our faith this morning to get every nugget, every morsel, every crumb off that table that you would have for us, and that we would use it and utilize it, and that it would change our life forever. We put our faith in the Word of God, now help us pull these principles out and apply them to our life in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Why don't you hug somebody's neck while you're sitting down? Matthew is where we've been. I want to take you to Mark chapter 6. It's the same story. It's just a little different. So I wanted to read it. Mark chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 47. Mark chapter 6, verse 47. Now, <clears throat> same story, immediately verse 45 makes his disciples get in the boat, go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent them away, he departed. Verse 47, now when evening came, 
the boat was in the middle of the sea. And he was alone on the land. The boat was in the sea. He was alone on the land. Now, this one says land. Matthew says mountain. Can we agree that land is a mountain? So I want you to know, understand something, because this is vital to bring it home, the final part of this series. Jesus is on the mountain, and the disciples are in the boat, in the middle of the sea, which some believe is about 20 to 25 miles long. So this is a pretty good distance. They'd only made it about halfway. Okay, you following me? <clears throat> Verse 48. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed by them. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. But they all, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately, there's that word again, immediately he talked with them and said, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. The first, the first thing that we said the first week, we said that when things happen in our life, I'm not talking about flat tires, I'm not talking about, you know, stomach virus, I'm talking about everything and anything that could rock and shake your faith and your world this is what we're talking about. Not the little things that come up. I'm talking about the things that really can shake a man or a woman. Something that can bring you to your knees to its core. Whether it's a death, whether it's bankruptcy, whether it's foreclosure, whether it's you don't know, you don't see the hand of God, you, sickness, disease, it doesn't matter. That's what we're talking about. They came to Jesus and they said, your cousin is dead. He's dead. So Jesus, being the man that he is, being the kind of person that he is, what does he do? He departs and goes to be by himself. Sometimes, remember the first week, sometimes you just got to look at people and say, I can't get what I need from you. I got to get with me and Jesus got to get with my father. There's a re-encounter. That was the first thing, re-encounter. In that re-encounter, you don't bring your list. You don't bring your to-do, your, your things that you're asking God for. This re-encounter is just to go sit in Jesus' lap. It's go sit in your Father's lap and put your head on His bosom and hear His heartbeat and let Him talk to you and love on you. That's it. That's all it is. When you do that comes the second thing. The second thing was the realignment, the recalibration of your heart. Something happens when you get around Jesus, when you get around God. You can't do it without having something on the inside of you change. That's why people will come for a little while and be around you, and then they leave you for a little while, and then they come back to you. Why? Because there's, there's a recalibration. There's something that's happening on the inside. Sometimes people just need, sometimes there's so much recalibration taking place, it's just a lot for one person to take, so they just back off for a little while because their toes hurt, the legs hurt, everything hurts because God's trying to get us to some place that we're not yet, and sometimes to do that, our flesh, come on, this ain't one of them where you shout, but it's true, your flesh, our flesh needs to be crucified, needs to be removed. The number one problem in America, the number one problem in the kingdom of God is not Satan. It's not the kingdom of darkness. How can someone who has been defeated be any match for the ones that have all the victory? That's the lie. Well, the devil did this. The devil caused... No, the devil works. He's the prince and the power of the air. He works in the sons of disobedience. The number one problem in the world, the number one problem in this country, the number one problem in Christendom is that right there. It's flesh. Jesus knew that. I'm not trying to attribute what I would feel like or what I feel like to the Son of God, to the Son of Man. But what I am saying is the Bible says that he was tempted in all points like we are. So when you feel a certain way, rest assured that Jesus had the same temptation to feel that way that you did. Now, I don't know about you, but that brings me comfort. I do. 
he reached down, picked the man's ear up, and put it back on the guy's head when Peter cut it off. But that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't have the same temptation to cut the man's ear off that came across the man. <laughs> I'm not saying that when he's standing before Pontius Pilate, he didn't want to say, you know what? Y'all can all kiss my behind. Father, send them down. He said, he said, don't you know who I am? I have the power to save your life. And Jesus goes, what? Hold on just a sec. You don't have nothing but what my Father has ordained you to have. So the second one was the realignment. There's, there's a recalibration, the machine of our heart, whatever. Whatever word works for you to understand what I'm saying, that when you re-encounter God, there's a realignment that takes place. There's a recalibration. He does something in your heart. If you stay away from Him and you don't encounter Him and you don't spend time with Him, well, guess what? You don't have to worry about feeling uncomfortable because you'll just keep driving out of alignment. You'll keep measuring things with the measuring stick of your heart that's not been recalibrated, and you're going to keep getting the wrong measurements. And you're going to be getting, you're going to continue to put your love in the wrong places because you haven't recalibrated your heart. And so then when you measure a person's love for you, it's going to be wrong, it's going to be off, and they're going to hurt you because you haven't allowed him to recalibrate your heart. What's the third thing? The third thing that happens is a refocus. When you get with Jesus, when you, when you and I say you and Jesus because you come to the Father through Jesus, but when you get with your Father, there's a refocus. There's a, there's a, um, there's a, a, a refinement of your focus that comes into play. Jesus was on the mountain. They was in the sea. And it says that Jesus, what? He saw them. He saw them. How do you see somebody that far? Never, much less, how do you see them rowing and fighting the wind when you know that the rain and the waves and the wind and everything cascading, and you may get a glimpse of that boat doing this in the water, but the Bible says that he saw them. My pastor, Pastor Andy, he just got a new pair of glasses. And he said that his son had handed him his glasses and said, here, Daddy, can you clean them for me? So he took the glasses. And he said, just for kicks, I put them on my face. He said, it was like everything went from black and white to ultra 4K HD. He said, I could see the wrinkles in people's faces. So he went and got him some glasses, and now he's preaching with his, now he's, and he sees the world differently. When you and I get alone with him, Often, daily, there's something that happens that God moves. It's almost like people say, well, you're not supposed to be selfish in the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus would meet their need before he demanded anything from them. Jesus would always meet the person where they were at before he said Come do something. No, he would meet the need, met the disciples, and then he looked at Peter and James and he said, listen, y'all like what you just experienced? The windfall of money that comes from that catch? Well, yeah, yeah, we like that. He said, come follow me and I'll show you how to do that with people. And they was like, oh. And they dropped what they did and went with him. The Bible says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. There has got to be a reward. There is a reward for those who diligently seek Him. And I'm not talking about works. I'm not talking about you manufacturing something and at the end you get to heaven and you go, look, you see all this? I wrote down all my works that I did. You said that you would reward me if I did all this. No, no, no. He said He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You seek Him, you follow Him without that mandate on your life, but you understand that God is a rewarder. He's got to be a warder. I'm not doing this for my health. You're not doing this for my health. The reward should be people coming into the kingdom. The reward should be us coming back next week and hearing testimonies of those who said, look, I didn't have faith that Sunday, 
But y'all prayed for me, and when I got home, there was a check in the mail. And the mail don't run on Sundays. Or I was looking through my pocketbook, and I found some money. And I know I didn't put it there. Do you understand what I'm saying? You go back and you get a testimony of what's what, what's the uh, what's his what's your uh, your brother's name? The one that Bali Bali was sick, diagnosed with all kind of stuff. They were they were they were leaving him for dead, and she came up to us yesterday and she said, "I have a testimony for the Lord." She said he is. He said the doctors came. She said the doctors came and they said we do not have to take his feet and his legs and his fingers. He is fine. He is healed. He is coming up. It's moments like those that when we, fo- when we come into his presence, he gives us a refocus. So there's three things that happen in this refocus. You ready? Three things. Write them down. Number one, when you get with him and he does all these things and now you begin to see, he begins to focus your attention. He's going to reveal something. He's going to reveal someone. The Bible says that in Mark, it says, Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, verse 48. Then he saw them. I had the two that I'm fixing to tell you reversed. And last night the Lord said, Go back and look at that verse again, son. And I went back and looked at them. And he said, What was the first thing that I showed them? And I said, The storm. And he said, Nope. I said, The plan. He said, Nope. What's the first thing that Jesus saw? Them. At some point, our Christian life has to become something more than just about me, mine, us four, and no more. Or in my case, us five. Our life has got to consist of something more than just ourselves. That's the... The gospel is the good news. The gospel is, listen, you don't have to just struggle the rest of your life. God wants to meet your needs, touch you where you're at, and bless you abundantly. For why? So you can bless others. At some point, the Christian community, the believers, though, and I believe that we are transitioning to that place. We have to get our focus off of us and get our focus on people who are in the waves and the wind and they feel like they're going to drown and die. Maybe you're not the one that I'm talking to this morning that up in the mountain and you've been with Jesus. Maybe you're in the boat. Good, because this message has two sides to it. You may not relate to the one that's got the re. I relate to that, and I relate to the one in the boat. There's areas of my life where I'm like, I can lay hands on you and pray for you right now, and I'll release my faith, and I swear in the name of Jesus it'll come to pass tomorrow. But there are areas in my life where like, look, you might need to get Papa to pray for you on that one. Whatever you do, whatever you're relating to, listen to me. Jesus saw them. The purpose of the refocus, number one, is to reveal the people. The refocus, the focus, the, the, the reestablishment of focus in your life is to establish you to see someone. Turn to somebody and say, someone. I'm trying to see somebody. Come on. I'm trying to see somebody. Say it. <clears throat> And he saw them, for the wind was contrary unto them, putting forth all their strength to buffet the waves and bear on against a headwind, but to little effect. He saw this from the mountaintop and through the darkness of night, for his heart was with all of them. Yet he Yet would he not go to their relief till his own time came. Listen to me. Write this down. Focus on those that are significant in the midst of something overwhelming. Sometimes Jesus is trying to get us to see something small and insignificant in the midst of something great. That's a big C. There they are. You see them? Come on, look over there with me. You see them, the disciples? They in the boat, <clears throat> the wind, the waves. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. What's that movie with Mark Wahlberg in it? Where they were, and, and uh, huh? The perfect storm. Y'all remember them waves? And then boat, them boats would go 50, 100 feet in the air and then come right back down on that wave. That's the kind of stuff that was out there. And they're scared. And Jesus, okay, so Jesus over here, he's on the mountain, and he looks and he sees them. 
He sees them. We, well, friends of ours used to have a condo down in St. Augustine, and we would go and we'd stay, and they'd have binoculars. I swear to y'all, them binoculars was this long. It's like, that's how long they were. You could look at somebody on the beach, and you could see what they were reading. That's how powerful them things. I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy. You moved just a little bit, and everything come out of focus. That's how far they would see. Something spiritually happens to us where we're able to see stuff that we were never able to see. But when we get with him, he redefines our focus. And he said, I'm going to show you something. God shows us stuff all the time. I don't want to see, but he shows us. I know he shows you. I know he shows you too. He shows you everybody in here. He's showing you. He's trying to get you to see someone. It's interesting to me. That in the pursuit of identifying, this is what I wrote down, that in the pursuit of identifying people, they sometimes come to see you as something to fear. So they labor, they label you as something you're not. They resist the power in you. They write off you as a ghost, all the while without correctly identifying you and your gifts. And now what happened to Jesus? Didn't Jesus say, as I am, so are you? So as you're walking on the water towards people who are in the storm, they're going to look at you, and they're going to say, you and Langston, y'all, they a little crazy. Langston especially. Not so much Inez. Langston's not here, so I can pick on him. But <clears throat> But you're coming to people, and you got a word for them. And this is what the Lord said to me and her. They're not going to like you at first. They're not going to understand you at first. you got a word for them, but that doesn't mean that you don't give them the word. That doesn't mean that you don't step up to the plate. Jesus understood that they didn't, they didn't know who he was. They called him a ghost. Could you imagine? Jesus is like, Really? I mean, I've been walking with you all these years, and you're going to look at me? You don't even know how, you know, a person's stride, their gait, the way they walk. I walk a certain way. I walk a certain way. I wear, you look at my shoes, all my shoes, I wear the, the back of my shoes out right here. You see them? You see how they wore right there? Because I walk like that. A little bow-legged. I walk like this. I don't walk like this. Could you, you know me. You turn out the lights, and my children can see me coming to them from a dark, and they go, Daddy, is that you, Daddy? I mean, at least Peter was like, look, guys, to me, I might be wrong, but that looks like Jesus walking, especially with the hair, you know. People aren't going to recognize you. Because they're in the storm. They're in the meat. They're in the heat. They've been, they've been wearing themselves out. You ever been so exhausted that you could lay down anywhere and just go to sleep for two days? You ever been? I've been that exhausted before. When I was younger, a lot younger, and building this house, building our house. But one time I remember I went on the weekend trip, and I left that Friday morning. I was in Atlanta, and a friend of mine came and picked me up. On the job site. I got off at 5. He was there at 4.55. I throwed my stuff in his car because we had spent the night. I'd worked there all week. And we headed to the mountains. I think we were up close to um, Mark and Carol Holloway around that area. This was 20. Let's see, well, I'm 41. This was 23 years ago. Picked me up in the little Honda CRX. Y'all remember them? They weren't no big, bigger than this Bible. Little four cylinder, you couldn't, you could not wear them cars out in the Hondas. He picked me up. I throwed my luggage. I was dirty. Well, we were going away on a on what they call a hard men's retreat, and it was all these guys that had been discipled, and we were getting ready to go to uh, to campus outreach for the summer, and so this was just a chance for the guys to get away. And there was probably forty guys there. Oh man, I don't care what you think. If I stink or not, you're a guy. You stink. And I'm single. There's no ladies there. 
So all the guys are like, woohoo, we just get to stink all week. So we get there Friday night. I did not go to sleep all night Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night, all day Sunday. We come home Sunday afternoon. So that's, what, three days? That's over 72 hours of no sleep. I was like 21. Please, you're not tired. 21, you can do whatever. And I come home. And I go to sleep, I laid down on the bed, I took a shower, I laid down on the bed at Sunday night, and I did not wake up until Tuesday morning. I was so tired, the adrenaline and everything, and I got home and I was like, man, this is nice, I feel like, I don't feel that bad. I took a shower and I was like, <laughs> for two days, my mama said, you didn't do nothing, all you did was get up and go pee. And I said, I don't even remember, I don't even remember. you ever been so tired you don't remember going to pee? That's tired. You're tired. Jesus is tired. He's wore out. He just got done ministering to 5,000. He goes to the, and he, and, and, and he see, but yet in that place of rest, God re-energized him. Now, imagine the disciples, how tired they are, rowing, fighting the wind and the waves. They're exhausted. So I'll give them that. They're tired. But Jesus comes up, and they don't recognize him. People may not recognize what you're bringing, and it's okay. I'm telling you, when God showed me this the other day, like, Eight years, ten years of stuff just came off of me. And I can understand why Jesus goes, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know they're tired. They slapped you. They hit you. They cussed at you. They left you. They talked about you. They don't know. You don't know. We've been there. The Bible says that if you spout off before listening to the facts, it's both shameful and and foolish. That's what Proverbs says. Be careful. If you're in the boat, be careful that when you see something walking up, don't label it as a ghost. Don't disregard what God may be sending for you to receive. And if you're the one walking towards somebody, don't be discouraged and don't be, um, don't be downtrodden. Don't, don't allow it to come at you, Miss Carol, because they don't they're, they're in darkness. They've been fighting. You just walk up there with all your boldness and you just smack the name of Jesus down on it and you just leave it alone. They don't know. Number two, the first one was he reveals the people. Number two, he identifies the problem. He clarifies something. The refocus is not just to see the people, but to see the problem. Focus requires understanding. They're tossed. Jesus knew there was a prop, there's a problem. The problem is they're in the midst of a storm. He revealed that. The Son, the God revealed that to him. The purpose of refocus is not just to feel good, warm, and fuzzy, it's, but it's to see people and to see the problem. You're going to see problems. I don't know if I should say that or not. <clears throat> In the process of God causing a refocus inside of you, He's going to show you some dirty things in people. But that don't mean you got to attribute that dirt to the people. Be careful of judgment. If God was going to judge us according to our actions, we would have already been judged. He did judge us. Jesus took that judgment. So when you see something, people, please handle that with care. Kid gloves. They're very tender. They're very emotional. What you say could prolong their deliverance or expedite it. Be careful. Jesus could have gotten mad. He could have got offended. Well, don't they know who we are? Don't they know our heart? Here we are walking on the water, and they look at us like that. Come on, Papa. We've been walking together for eight years now. They don't know us. 
Well, you know what? No, Jesus walked up to him and said, he said, be of good cheer. Sometimes the answer to people's problems is a joke, is a laugh, is a giggle. He showed up and he said, one translate, there was another translation, I think it's in Luke, that said, it is I, fear not. But Matthew and Mark both go, be of good cheer. What? We're in the storm. What are you talking about being in good cheer? He said, be of good cheer. You ready? I'm here. It's I. And he said, it is I. It's the same one that when it came down from heaven, the same verb tense, the same noun that was used when God, when God said, I am that I am. It's the same word. Jesus said, be of good cheer. We ought to all leave this place today with a smile on our face. Why? Because Jesus is here. Sometimes the enemy, the only tool he has is to keep you down in that place where you don't see what you need to see. And that's Jesus. He's walking. I mean, if you're in the midst of a storm this morning, if you got stuff going on, you ought to put a smile on your face because Jesus is coming towards you to deliver it and to quiet it down. Not everything in your life are you supposed to rebuke. I'm going to say that again. Not every storm, not every wind, not every wave in your life. I know you're listening. I'm just kidding. Are you supposed to cast down? Some things, Jesus has got your back. Well, Jesus gave us all authority and all power and all dominion. Yeah, but there's sometimes where I'm just tired and I don't feel like saying nothing. I don't want to. You, listen, you press me and you're going to get something out of me I don't know if I can ever take back. You know what I'm saying? You know, like you say something and you go, oh, Lord, let me reel that back in. I wish I hadn't said that. Listen, sometimes just let Jesus fight your battles. Just let Jesus fight them. That's not our position all the time. We're not always supposed to just be like, well, Jesus is going to fight my battles. No, sometimes we got to fight. But there's other times where we, it's all right. Just, Jesus, Lord have mercy, if that's you, I mean, you want me to walk out on the water, I will. Come on, call me. And he said, come. Sometimes just let Jesus, and what happened? Jesus didn't calm the storm. Peter's walking on the water. It wasn't until he got in the boat, and the Bible says that the wind ceased. Sometimes to calm the things down in our lives, we just need to get in front of Jesus. And Jesus said, the Lord said this to me, I don't know, a month ago. He said, son, just keep your eyes on me and stay out here in the water with me. Everything will be all right. I mean, I still don't understand how somebody can walk on water in the winds. I mean, is this what it looks like? You know, you're just going up and down because you know your stomach. I don't think that's what Jesus, I don't, I don't really believe that. I believe that he wasn't subject, his power and dominion, Lord have mercy, I can't say this fast enough as it's coming to me. His power and his dominion and his authority is not limited to the parameters of the storm itself. In other words, he walked on the wind and the waves, right? But even in that, he wasn't subject to what they wanted to do. It was subject to what he wanted to do. Jesus don't want to be on a roller coaster. So I believe when he started walking on that water, it was like, boom. All this is doing, and this right here is just like glass. And he's walking. You know that's how it was. He was not, his, his, the, 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 the laws of nature are not subject to a degree to Jesus. No, they subject. So he's walking on the water, and Peter gets out, and he steps out. Peter wasn't distracted because he's doing this. He was distracted because he's like, God almighty, in the name of Jesus, how are we doing this? And the waves, I mean, you know they're up there. And Jesus like, just. So you're walking, and you keep your eyes on Jesus, and all of a sudden you're like, was that a dolphin? <laughs> that just. Did I see. Moby Dick just rolled by. And so he starts doing this. And because he's doing that, he's walking. And he gets, and maybe he brushes up against that wave. And it starts throwing him off. And the Bible says he began to sink. He didn't just drop. He began to sink. Listen, we ought to smile and just be like, look. Sometimes you just got to do like this. 
and everybody trying to get your attention. <clears throat> I told her the other day, I said, somebody called, somebody said something, somebody did something, I'm going to just tell them, say, look, I love you, but leave me alone. I told that the other day. Leave me alone. If you don't want to, if you don't have nothing good to say, please don't call me. Not right now. Not unless you want to see a side of me. Sometimes it's just like, let me just, sometimes it is just you and Jesus, and that's okay. It's all right. You don't have to be ugly. You don't have to be rude. Sometimes it's all right. Shut your phone off. Langston probably thinks that I don't even love him no more. I mean, he does. He don't think that, but I'm saying, because I ain't called him, I ain't texted him. Why? Because I've been with Jesus. I've been in that mountain. And now what I'm seeing is I'm seeing some things. He's getting my focus, and I'm seeing stuff. I'm seeing people. I'm seeing the problem. Sometimes the, the people is you. Sometimes the problem is the problem that affects you. It's not always about you, but sometimes it is. Come on, y'all should have been like, amen. It's, sometimes it's about me. <clears throat> I'm preaching a message. I'm going to preach a message one time, someday, soon, maybe write a book. It says, sometimes it is about me. The Son of Man came to die for me. I can't know that for you. How do I know that? How is that a truth? Because John said, the disciple that the Lord loved. Sometimes you've got to make it so personal that it looks selfish. Number three, you ready? <clears throat> when he identifies the people and he reveals the problem, it's going to do something on the inside of you. It's going to cause something on inside of you, a compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus saw the multitudes as sheep without a shepherd, and he was moved to such a degree where he gives one of the greatest declarations to his people, to his disciples, and he said, do you see them? They are like sheep without a shepherd. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers. Why? Because his heart is so moved towards people. If your heart is not moved towards people, you need to get with Jesus and go to the mountain. You should be moved by people. The third thing that happens is he clarifies the plan. He identifies the people. He identifies the problem. And then he clarifies the plan. In other words, all that is for the purpose of moving you to action. Pursuing someone. And he went up to them into the sheep, to the sheep, to the ship, and the winds ceased, and they were amazed. Some, when you get that plan, execute it. Don't wait. Listen to me, guys. We don't have time to wait. We don't. When you show up to somebody's life and you got the plan and God has downloaded the word for you, then you should put a smile on your face and say, I got some good news for you. Now, if this bears witness with you, take it. Because you know the Holy Spirit's already going to be moving on them. And you give them that word of encouragement. You give them that word. Say, listen, fear not. Be of good cheer. Jesus is here. Give them that word. It's not your word. It's his word. There's power in the word. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we don't realize that. But there's power in this word. I don't understand preachers who preach and never crack this thing open. The power's not in me. The anointing is on me, but the anointing is for the purpose of revealing the Word of God to you and to me. I think I've gotten more out of this series than you did. This is the first time in all the years that I've been preaching that God has given me a series that I could, that I could literally say, you know what, I ought to write this down and really meditate on this for the next couple of years. There's something significant about this. God has done that. He didn't do that just for me. He did that for you. But it's not. It's in this. There's so much wealth in this. I'm fixing to crack something open to you, and then we're going to shut it down, okay? I'm fixing to show you something right here. Even though they didn't recognize him nor respond to the supernatural when it was in front of them and walking toward them, he still showed up and established 
the place of peace and rest in their life. For those of you that feel like you did this morning and we prayed for you, it's all right. Jesus is not insecure. He doesn't get his feelings hurt when you don't like him or you don't recognize him. Why? Because his power overcomes your weakness. That's why Paul said, I will glory in my weakness. Well, you're weak. You're not ready. I don't think you can handle this. I don't think you can do this. Well, you know what? We in good company because so was David, so was Samson, so was Paul, so was Timothy. The only person that showed up to this earth ready to do what he was called to do was Jesus. And in that moment, he set aside that ability and had to now, listen to me, qualify himself to do what God had called him to do. Not qualified in the sense that he wasn't qualified, but Jesus had to walk it out just like you and me. He demonstrated what you and I have the power to do. <clears throat> I'm going to close with this. I want you to notice something that I saw in verse 48. Then he saw them straining and rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch, that's anywhere from 3 to 6 in the morning. I mean, we if it's 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm tired. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And Mark says, and would have passed them by. Now Matthew's account doesn't say that. Luke's account doesn't say that. And I said, Lord, why did he say that? Why would he say that? I don't know about you, but when I'm reading and I'm, I'm pulling things out of Scripture, I'll just look at it. I got that from Bishop Jakes. He says, I derive all my sermons from gazing at them. I mean he just talks and you just fall under the anointing you know what I'm saying he said I just gaze at the text so I've been gazing lately and I'll just read it and I'll put it down I got up this morning and I just pulled my my, my phone up and I started reading that scripture again Lord I mean I got to deliver the word to your people today and I still don't know what that means he said he would have passed them by how you gonna pass me by how you gonna pass them by now i've studied and i've looked and i've researched <clears throat> and there's two things that he pulled out to me number one sometimes because the gospels were written by four different people Sometimes your perception of what Jesus is doing is different than hers. It doesn't mean that it's right. It doesn't mean that it's wrong because God's big enough to encompass all of our perceptions. <coughs> but perception is reality. For some reason, when Mark looked, when he's writing, some people believe that this is, uh, this is John Mark, the one that left Paul and Barnabas and Paul had a knockdown drag out fight over John Mark. Some believe that this is him that wrote this. Some believe others. Most scholars believe that it's John Mark. And so I'm reading this and I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, if John Mark left the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas went on, there had to be a reason or something. Maybe he wasn't strong enough. Maybe he got fleshy. I don't know. I can't find that in Scripture. But what I do know is when it was time to go to the second missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas, Paul said, let's go. And Barnabas said, well, I think we ought to take John Mark. And Paul said, nope. And Barnabas said, well, I don't agree. And Paul said, nope. And it says that the contention was so strong with them that Barnabas left with John Mark and Paul took Silas and they took off. But what's amazing about that story is that later on, Paul said, send John Mark to me for he is needful. God is always good at reconciliation and restoring things, even years later. I mean, you, my mom and daddy were here, I'd make them both cry. Because my mom and daddy were divorced for 17 years and, then, and remarried two people. Not two people, but he married and she married. And then they got back together. And it says, if... That these kids, my youngest, they don't even know what it's like 
what it was like for us growing up not having a mama and a daddy in the house. And now my mom and daddy, it's like it, it's like it never happened. Never. God is good at reconciliation. He's, he's, in the, he's a professional. Don't try to do that. You're, not, you're, not, you're a novice. He's the master reconciliator. But I said, Lord, how are you going? Okay, Mark says you come, he's coming to you. And the Bible says that he would have passed them by. And so the Lord said, I'm going to give you two things. Number one, it's all right if you perceive me as passing by. Because I still showed up. And I still did what I was supposed to do. But the second thing he showed me. Do you remember when Moses went up to the mountain to get the law? And he said, Lord, I want to see your face. And the Lord said, I can't show you my face. For it is too holy. The sacrifice hadn't been yet made in Jesus. And so he said, but I will pass by the second one was when elijah is running elijah is running from jezebel just called fire down from heaven he told him load it up put all the water on there dig a trench and water it down matter of fact go get three dump load, dump truck load full of water and pour it on there you everybody good we all agree that it's wet father he just got done. Jezebel gets mad. She said, I'm going to kill him. And he runs away, scared. And he's hiding, hiding in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the cliff. He's hiding in the rock. And he says, he says to him, he says, come out to the edge of the cliff. I'm going to pass by you. We think pass by because of the words that we use in us. And we think pass by means he's like, hey, how you doing? But that's not what he meant. I don't believe that's what he meant. I believe he's saying, I'm going to pass by and I'm going to fix all of this right in front of you. I'm going to pass. I'm going to the other side. And I told you I was going to the other side. I done told you to go to the other side. But I'm going to pass by and take care of this so we can go on and do what we're called to do. I don't know why Mark articulated it that way. But when I see that, I still see the heart of Jesus. I still see the heart of him saying, look, I may not stop. But I'm going to pass by because when I pass by, that's all. You don't remember that when, when, uh, when Peter, when he went after the day of Pentecost, the same guy that denied Jesus, the same one that cut, the same one that did all that, he's walking down the streets and his shadow would what? Pass by people. And they would get healed. John the Baptist said, look. The Bible says, as Jesus passed by. The passing by is not to restrict him, it's to reveal him. I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. We already prayed. It's already done. But what I will say is that the Son of Man did not come but to seek and save that which was lost. He came and shows up in our situation to seek and save that which was lost. I don't care if you're in the storm, in the boat, walking on water, or in the mountain with Jesus. He still is. He still says, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Come on, stand to your feet. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, we've done this for three weeks. This is the, this is the last one. So I'm going to pray over us, and then we're going to dismiss but I want you to hook your faith up with mine. I want, you to, I want you to release your faith that, Father, in the name of Jesus, whether we're in the storm or whether we're in the mountain, that we are going to be of good cheer because you've showed up. You're here. Father, I thank you for the power of the re-encounter that when we come into your presence, there is fullness of joy. The reason why people don't come, one of the reasons why the enemy has been so successful in restricting people from coming into your home, coming into your place of business, coming into this into our place where we gather as the church, the reason why he's been so successful in it 
is because he knows that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So as long as he can keep people in bondage and keep them away from you, he can keep that freedom from them. The other reason is because he knows that in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. There's joy. The re-encounter. People are looking for an encounter, and there are people that need a re-encounter. You are that answer. Be that encounter. Father, we release our faith that we would be that encounter for people, that we would love on them with no attachments, with no expectations, not demanding anything of them, but simply freely giving everything that we have. Silver and gold, we may not have that at the moment, but such as we have, we freely give. Father, we thank you for the second thing, which is the realignment, that whether we're in the boat or whether we're in the mountain, that there's a realignment that takes place. In that alignment is our hearts are now coming into contact with your hearts and we're strengthening that bond and that relationship to where your heart is our heart and our heart is your heart. He said he would give you the desires of your heart. Your heart is not deceitful. It is not twisted. Your heart is after something greater than what it seems. And it can only be found in that place with Jesus. And last but not least, Lord, we thank you for the refocus that we would not only see the people and identify the problem, but that you are clarifying the plan for us in this moment, for this season, for One Love City Church, for us as the church, and for our community and for the country and for the world. You're clarifying the plan. And so we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, <clears throat> grab the person's hand next to you. <clears throat> Let me pray for us and dismiss us. Father, with all that being said, we put a smile on our face. And we are going to be of good cheer because we know that you are here. You're in us. And like Papa said, if God be for us, what difference does it make who's against us? That sometimes we just need to reflect and focus on that, that Jesus, you're with us. And you walk with us. We're going to keep our eyes on you. While we're walking on the water, we're not going to notice the shark and the, the dolphin and the waves that are 100 feet high and the, the, the wind and the lightning. We're not going to notice any of that. We're just going to keep our eyes on you. Keep our eyes on you. You said, blessed are those who put their trust in you, for they will never, they shall not be discounted, discouraged, and despondent. We thank you for that. And as we leave this place, we leave with a smile on our face and that contagiousness to infect others in that encounter with you. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Y'all have a good week, a blessed week. We'll see you next Sunday.